Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Wow, good morning. It's great to see you. This is a great day. Uh, today we begin a thousand day campaign. So if you're a guest with us, uh, we have been preparing for this day for quite some time and very intensely for the last few months, three months. So uh, we're excited you're here. The whole legacy journey uh, that we have been on right from the start has been primarily a call to unity, that we would be in this together. Each of us, from the youngest, as you saw, to the oldest We did a series in Joshua who taught us that every step uh, of the journey of crossing over into the promised land needed to be together in unity. And so he said, everybody has to get their feet wet. Even the two and a half tribes of Israel, whose land was already given to them before they ever crossed the Jordan, still had to get their feet wet and cross over, or actually the The priests got their feet wet. Everyone else had to get in the river and cross. So what we learned from him is that unity is essential. And I remember when last fall sometime before we launched uh, the series, and we were sort of planning the entire campaign that led up to this day, Uh, Kirk Nowry, who has been uh, assisting our lead team with this entire campaign, Uh, sat us down, and I've done this with Kirk before. He's helped us through the last campaign to get into this building. So he knows me and the angst that a campaign produces in me. And he could see it, and he just looked right at, it was me and Matt were both in, looked at me and, and Matt and said, listen, there's only two things that can jeopardize this campaign. The first one is if you don't seek the Lord about it. You don't seek the Lord about it, that, that, could, that could ruin this thing. But he said the second thing that's important that could jeopardize it is disunity. If we're not all facing in the same direction, heading in the same direction as a body. And I remember those are the first things that I wrote down related to this entire campaign. And now we're circling all the way back to it. And Joshua said essentially the same thing in Joshua chapter 1. Remember what he said? There will be no success found in this journey of crossing over unless Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, does not uh, leave your mouth and thought and meditation. You will not have any success if you don't seek the Lord first. But right after that, the rest of the chapter, it's been on unity. We have to go across this together. And Joshua is essentially saying that unity is not a luxury. We're going to see unity is a wonderful thing. You may not even know how much you value unity, but we'll see in a second. But it's still not a luxury. It's a necessity. It's uh, life and death depends on it, as we'll see. It's kind of like a spiritual oxygen. You need it. We need it. So we're going to look at Psalm 133. This is a text that I actually got to share with our staff uh, right before we started all of this, sort of in a devotional sense. I kind of want to bring that devotional sense to you as well. 
It's a short psalm. It's only three verses. And it talks about unity. But every commentator that you read uh, will tell you that despite the fact that it's short, maybe the second shortest psalm, I'll let you hunt for the shortest one. All right? This is only three verses. Uh, There's one with two. You can find it. It would be fun for you to search. Okay? You're always doing Google searches. Search it. All right? Uh, And so, but but all the commentators say, despite the fact that it's short, it packs a punch, and it is incredibly vivid, and you'll see how vivid it is. So why don't we read it first? And I'm going to put the whole, all three verses up there. Usually, when I put the entire text that we're going to look at, together. You can't read it because it's got to be so tiny, but there's only three verses. So let's, let, me, let me read it for us. He says, look, how good and how pleasant is it it is when brothers live together. It's like fine oil poured on the head, which flows down from the beard, Aaron's beard, and then flows down his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, which flows upon the hills of Zion. Indeed, that is where the Lord has decreed a blessing will be available, eternal life. Now, these three simple verses do something very, very powerful, sort of almost literarily, visually explain my point. At the very first section, they celebrate it. The very first verse, it celebrates. But whatever looks at unity just marvels at unity. And then down at the bottom, there's this little word here I wanted you to see because this is the command. There's the command for it. So after he celebrates unity, it's not until the end that he commands it, which typically we would think that would be reversed, but not in this case. So you see the wonder of it first, but then you go, but it's absolutely necessary. So this reinforces the point that as wonderful as unity is, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity, and it's demanded of us by God. Now, look at verse, let's look at verse 1. He says, first of all, observe. You need, in other words, he says, just stop, think right now, observe. Gaze into this reality. And then two, how good and how pleasant is it when brothers live together? So the first thing is this double use of how, where he's essentially saying it's immeasurable. I don't even know that I can really tell you how good it is. I don't even know if I can tell you how delightful it actually is. When, here's the phrase, when brothers live together. So he's going to tell you, you got to see this. And then he's going to say, I can't even measure it. How right and how delightful it is when brothers live together in harmony. So that's how he starts this thing. Now, the phrase, live, brothers live together, is a phrase taken from Genesis, actually. It starts there, and it refers primarily to family, which we can all sort of get a mental picture of what it's like to live in the closeness of a family. And in the Old Testament, it was an extended family. So everybody in your family... Uh, was either in the same area or, you know, under the same roof. Now, we don't, 
typically have that in our reality very much in our culture. We, we have limits on how long extended family can be around. Why? Because it's very difficult. It's very difficult to live in close proximity with a family, extended family, and to, and to, and to have harmony. It, take, it takes an amazing amount of effort and work and selflessness to have that kind of deal. But that was the image. It was sort of a family image. And now, if you go back and read it, here's the reason why it was so important for the family, all of them, to live in harmony. Not just close proximity, but harmony. And here's the reasons. They had to share resources. This is why they need to be unified. Shared resources. That's obvious if we're all together. We're using the same stuff. Uh, second, we're defending each other's interests. I mean, we, in order to be, work together and be unified, we've got to have the same interests. And then finally, to ensure the future. I mean, we've we got the little ones running around. We've got everybody here. We've got to think about Ahead, we got to think down the road. That's why unity was so important. And so what happens in, in, the, in your scriptures, you got in Genesis here, before Israel's even, or just as Israel has gotten formed, prior to it and just after it comes something else, because in the Psalms they're going to take it. What does he mean by it here? Because he doesn't mean family here. He's going to take it up a notch. He's going to take it to Israel. This is long after Genesis. So what's he saying here? Well, evidently, this whole theme of unity has made it into the hymn book of Israel. That means when the nation comes together and worship, when they make that pilgrimage to Zion to worship, part of that whole worship package is going to be an emphasis on unity. So now it's moved from the family. It's taken a step up to the worship community. And in a minute, you're going to see it's actually going to take an exponentially greater jump and refer to us. But hold that thought for a minute. Now, just to give you a window, just to help you understand how wonderful this is, because I said we, we love unity more than we, had, we even know. Imagine what a spectacle it is when family or the community is not living in harmony. Imagine how difficult it is. You know, how many times have you, when you think about your extended family and getting together and everyone being together, there's always one. You go, I don't know if I can handle two hours. I I don't know if I can. And then there's always the, well, if they're going to be there, I can't be because this happened and that happened. And now there's, it's just, and, and on top of just life itself being hard enough, the very fact that we can hardly be in the room without some issue being there with the family, it becomes a spectacle because there could be rivalry, there could be competition, there's angry, there's self-absorption and self-centeredness, which we all know destroy families and unity. It's a pain in the neck when there's not harmony. You don't even know how much you love that the kind of harmony he's saying. You can't even measure it. Can't even measure it. So that just gives you a feel for why he's celebrating unity among the community. Now there's two pictures. uh, Because this text is going to give us sort of two pictures that give us the basis of this incredible unity. And I think the results of this incredible unity. But before he does that, I want to take you back to the whole text, and I want you to notice this. 
Because we always notice the repetition, especially in a psalm. Poetry. That poetry or that, that language is saying something. But you know, I want you to notice the direction of unity. It's flowing down, whether we're talking about oil poured on the head or whether we're talking about dew on one of the high hills flowing down to the, uh, the, the smaller ones. The direction of unity is downward. Now, there's a couple of real important truths that come out of that picture alone. And I want to mention them to you. Number one, before we look at the two pictures. First, it comes from above. Unity is the kind of thing, which is interesting here. Uh, on the one hand, it's God giving it. The psalm shows God giving it. On the other hand, at the end, it's God demanding it. So on both ends of this, unity is pictured interestingly. But it comes from above, whatever it is. Okay? The second thing is it's, it sort of flows downward in the sense that it's condescending. It's humble. There's no unity without humility. You can't have unity among brothers if anyone's trying to get the upper hand. If elevation and up and ego and self are driving you, it's impossible to find unity. Unity is a downward move, not an upward move. That's why in Philippians 2, when Paul is talking about uh, the church, he says, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He wants unity more than anything. And then he says, do, how? Do nothing from selfishness. You'll never have unity. You'll never have sameness, togetherness. If you're selfish or you're conceited or you're not humble in your mind, if you don't regard others as more important than yourself, if you only look out for your personal interests and not the interest of others, you can't have unity. It's, it's not achievable that way. In other words, the direction of unity is down. It's not up. And this is where I want to just say something to you. Because what this, te- this te- was very convicting for me. I, because of time, I, I, I got to get through this, but I just want to say... Um, you're very vulnerable. We are. We are all very, very, very vulnerable to feeling on the outs of something. And when we feel on the outs of anything, whether it's family, I'm on the outs of my family, I'm on the outs of this community, I'm on the outs of anywhere. It could be work, it could be anything. Whenever you feel on the outs, you're very vulnerable. You're very vulnerable to self-absorption. You're very vulnerable to self-pity. And then what you'll do, feeling on the outs, even though maybe you're not even, but you just, you just feel on the outs. No one's told you you're out. You just feel out. And you may not actually be out, but you feel it. That's enough for you to actually destroy what's inside. We're very vulnerable. You know why we're vulnerable? Because we find so much of our self-worth in that community. And if we feel on the outs, we're devastated. And we get hurt. And when we get hurt, we want to hurt other people. This is the value of unity. And that's why you've got to find that. Hey, listen, you didn't get invited. They didn't notice you. No one said hi. I didn't. I, the, the songs weren't what I wanted. The timing wasn't what I wanted. It didn't happen my way. I preferred that. All that kind of stuff. All those things will make you feel a little on the out. 
yeah, I love everything about the church, but I'm on the outs when it comes to that because they don't do it the way I would do it. All those things are dangerous to unity. And you got to fight them and keep unity. you got to fight them. So we're vulnerable. We can mess this up so easily. That's why you got to be humble. It can't be about you. If it is, you'll destroy the unity. So it's got to be... It's got to be downward. Third thing is this whole sort of oil and do both. Pour down on that. It's very soothing. It's uh, healing, like the dew. It's refreshing. That's the feel of this text. And that's what we should, uh, should feel in this. It should bring life. That's the feel of unity. It should cool you off. If you're feeling on the outs, it should calm you down. Unity should chill you about you. That's its punch and its power. Um, So let's look at the two pictures. The first one is it's like, uh, well, actually it's this one. It's like fine oil, good oil. Poured on the head, which flows down the beard, Aaron's beard. Because now we know whose beard it is, because you're not really sure what he means by oil flowing until you get to Aaron. Aaron was the high priest in Israel. Which ought to immediately, I mean, any Israelite reading this would know exactly what this day meant. It would, it would thrust them back into Leviticus 8, when in the wilderness, God set up that sort of makeshift tabernacle. And, he, and all of Israel on this day, most sacred day, All of Israel, millions, would gather their tents around that centerpiece of the tabernacle. And the priest would be anointed. And you're talking about the holiest, quietest, most sacred liturgical moment in Israel's life. And at the core of it was redemption, forgiveness. That means none of us are looking at each other and pointing fingers and blaming anybody. We're all looking to the same resource for our own forgiveness and sinfulness. That's the one moment in Israel's life when they're the most unified because they're not looking at anybody's sin but their own. They're hoping to make it out of that day alive through the high priest. And it was a special anointment given to them. You could read Leviticus 8, and it describes this whole event of Aaron getting this. And it just flows down his garment. So they would special ointment in the sanctuary. It hits him here, and it's, it's not like a tiny little drop. I mean, it's, it's gushing off of him, coming down his face, down his robe. And it's a picture of anointing. So what he, what this, here's the first thing he's saying about unity. It's absolutely the holiest thing. Consider it the holiest thing about you as a community. There's no more sacred kind of thing than whenever I'm feeling on the outs and I fight my self-centered urges and force myself back in. Nothing holier than that in you. When you don't let your self-centered piece of you stay on the outs and you don't even wait to be pulled back in. You march in because, you, because of this. Hang with me because this picture gets more graphic. But for now, it's about forgiveness. 
I know what I have received, and because what I've received, I can now relate to others. And then secondly, you see the dew. It's also like the dew of Hermon, uh, which flows down upon the hills of Zion. Let's just stop there for a second, because this picture's really beautiful too. Dew in the Old Testament was very important to this sort of these lower lands, especially during the arid, dry season. And, and rains, remember, drought in the Old Testament, like a, one of the worst things that can happen, no rain. It would produce famine and death. And so the dew from Mount Hermon, the highest mountain in Israel, okay, over 9,000 feet, proverbially was known as the mountain dew. The mountain dew. Just hit me. Mountain dew from Hermon. Okay? And it would flow down into the lower lands and it would produce, it would create crops. And in fact, dew is such an important thing in the Old Testament that you see metaphorically it's used spiritually. It describes when new life hits you, it's like dew hitting the grass. If you ever get the king's favor, anyone in authority's favor upon you in Proverbs 19.12 is like the dew in the morning. Hosea actually uses the metaphor of dew to describe God. God is like dew. Just blankets you with refreshment. You can blossom and flourish, and it brings life to the crops. It's just life-giving. That's the result of it. The basis of it is forgiveness. That's the holy sacred piece. Then after that comes the resources. It just everyone gets blessed and it flows downward to the lowest hills. Everyone gets refreshed in unity. Doesn't matter who you are in the room. We all benefit when we're together. Doesn't high, low, all that gets lost in this beautiful picture. Then there's Zion, which this is the place. That's where Israel met. See, this is where this takes another leap. From Genesis in the family to the hymn book of the, of the worship uh, of, of the nation of Israel. It's going to take another leap now when we think about the New Testament and say, where do we meet now? Where do we go from Israel to the New Testament? You go to the church. And that's why there's all this unity talk in the New Testament. Where? There's a location for it. Where? That's where they met in Zion. And from that place right there, this is what's so beautiful about this place right here. There's something available there. There's something available in that unity you can't find in disunity. And we'll see in just a minute how important it is. So not only do you get the benefits of unity if you are in the community, but there is something available there. And look what he says it is. Life. And if you go back and look at the whole text again, he says, when we live together, and then he talks about the spiritual side of this, eternal life. That's a very, very graphic picture of unity produces, makes something else unique available to others. In other words, Zion was not just the place where God demanded unity and then blessing would come. It was also the place where blessings were released to the rest, to others who didn't know it, who needed it. Now keep that in mind for just a second. When we think about, we jump to the New Testament and we come to John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, 
It's hardly a more beautiful way to, for, to, uh, to come out of Psalm 133 is to think about Jesus praying for his disciples. And not only for his disciples who were there around him, but John makes it crystal clear Jesus is praying not for just his disciples, but for every single one of, of, who would follow him in the future. That means us. And John 17 is considered Jesus' high priestly prayer because it's the prayer he prays the night before he's arrested and crucified. It's his high priestly prayer. It's as if Aaron has now become Jesus. And he's praying over us. You say, what would he pray for? What would be the thing on Jesus' mind right before he dies that he wants to tell the community? What would that look like? Because if Zion was the place, now it's the church. Now it's his, the New Testament people. It's us. Who's that going to be? Well, let's go to John chapter 17 and listen to what Jesus says. Here's my prayer, he says. He's praying that, what, are they, what is he praying? That, that they may be one. There's your unity. That's his prayer. That's the thing that is driving him bonkers before he leaves here. Even as you, Father, and are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that, here's the reason, here's the reason for it. Here's the reason for the unity. What's available in the unity? Well, the world, who's not a part of it, can find something out. Believe that you sent me. See, if they're one, they'll they'll make something available. Redemption becomes available. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one. This is the reason. Just as we are one. When we're one... We mimic God. We mimic the Trinity. And then, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world, here it is again, it's going to repeat it, the world may know that you sent me. And here's what he's saying. If the world doesn't see an astounding kind of inexplicable love and togetherness that the community shares... If they don't see that, they'll never believe, they'll never believe its truth claim, which is a wild and crazy truth claim that a Jew in first century Palestine who died claiming to be Messiah, like many before him, is really the Messiah. They won't believe it. They won't believe. Unless somehow they can look behind that truth claim and see the body acting All different races, colors, nationalities, uh, ages, sizes. All of us with one common love, an astounding kind of love. So that's what he's saying. We bring it. That's what he means by we make it available. Jesus is actually, and I just thought of giving permission to the world to reject the truth claim if the church isn't being unified. That's pretty powerful. 
You say, all right, Pete, I'd really love to live like this. And I'm a person who, when I feel on the outs, I'm miserable. I get it. How do you do this? How do you live like this? Where do you find that to march back into in the community when you feel on the outs? Here's what he says. I want you, here's what he prays. I want you to love them even as you have loved me. Now listen, Hillside, you don't have to have devotions this week if you'll just read this line every single day of the week and just meditate on how much God loves you. Because here's how much it is. This is the only thing that'll let you make you march back into community, whether it hurts, whether it takes sacrifice, no matter what, it, whether it's not your preference, whether it, did, it didn't work for you, you march back in there. Why? Only one reason. It's because Jesus prays this prayer, Lord, I want you to love them as much as you love me. Do you know how much God loves Jesus? Here's what he's essentially saying. When you unite with Christ, when you come to know Christ, here's essentially what he's saying. God begins to love you the same way he loves Jesus. And in John, he makes it clear that, Lord, you have loved me since eternity past. That's what he says of his father. Jesus says that. So here's what he's saying. Jesus prays for you. I want you to love them like they have been with you as long as I have been with you. And I want you to love them like they have done all the wonderful things I've done for you. That's how much I want you to love. And here's the thing about Jesus' prayer. All of us really want people to love us a little more than they love other people. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? Listen, I want people to love me. Just the, ah, man, you think about somebody you respect or you love a lot, you want them to love other people, of course. But you want them to love you a little bit more. I want to be a little more loved. Which one of us doesn't have that feeling? By the way, the feeling gets us in trouble. Gets us in trouble. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not competing with them for your love. I'm not competing with them for your That killed me this week. That he could say. What would make him say that? When you and I would prefer. I want everybody loved, but I don't want them as much as me. That's the, that's the thing that we're talking about. The only way you're ever going to not have that feeling anymore. The only way you're never going to be so dependent on someone else's love. Is when you feel the love of the Father for you like that. Then you don't have to use community, manipulate community, be mad at community, because you don't need from them what you used to need from them. His love displaces that need. So now you're free to condescendingly and humbly love others and not be so demanding of it. Only because Christ loves you. That's the reason. Now, as we think about community and we think about it as it relates to us today. Because this is a, uh, what we're going to do right now in just a minute. We're going to come forward. We're going to bring our gifts, what we've been preparing to do. Uh, if you're a guest with us and you can't be a part of it, that's fine. Um, you get to witness it. And we're happy for you to see it. Um, in the grand scheme of things, this, this is just an outward picture of our unity. I don't want you to underestimate for even a moment 
what self-sacrifice means to unity, because that's what you're about to see. You're about to announce to each other and to the world that you have different values, that you put some other, that you value something beyond this world and this life. That's what sacrificing together means. So I don't want to underestimate it in any way, shape, or form. In fact, let me say this to you. Um, the last couple of weeks, the elders have been meeting together after we got the promises. Because, you know, the elders who represent you, okay, who are your leaders and feel that burden, they get this information, and this information is how they're going to make decisions going forward. In the next 8 to 12 months, lots of decisions have to be made. Uh, regarding this building. So we got 309 promises. This was our, this last week's meeting. And that roughly amounted to about $3.8 million. It was pretty awesome. So uh, I just want you to know that, of course, we have to look at that number. But this is the number we cared about the most. How many people are involved in this? How many of them are with us? How many are going in the same direction with us? Because I want you to know, Hillside, this is about about 50%. We haven't reached the total that we need, but we also haven't even come close to the amount of people that could be a part of this. All right? I just want you to know that we, we what we want more than anything else is everybody, what we don't want is, you know, a bunch of people kind of circling each other and nobody moving forward. We all want to go together in the same direction. So that means we're sitting there having a conversation like this. It goes, man, what's the other half thinking? Are they a part of this? Are they with us? Even if they put $5 on the promise card in the next three years, couldn't they do that just to say, we're in and we're going with you, but this is all we can do. And I know for a fact that's all some can do. And if you can't even do that, then you need to come to me and say, I need help. And I'm going to tell you this. We have a benevolence fund that will help you. I'll be, we want to be able to help you. But everybody ought to be able to say we're in and we're moving in the right direction. And we're all going together. Kirk said there'd be 70%. The statistics say 70% of the church will get involved. If they do, that's about as high as you're going to get. And I'm like, baloney. Why can't 100% of us go? We printed enough cards. No, we don't have enough cards. All it means is grabbing a card and saying, I've only got five bucks over the next three years, but I'm with you guys and we're going because it's more important that we're all going together than the dollars. And I mean that. You want to know a sad statistic I heard this morning? Kirk actually shared it with me after this first service. He said, Pete, this year, 700,000 people became millionaires in the United States, new ones. 700,000 people in the last year became millionaires. And the same news, the same news account said, happened to say, giving to churches is down. And it was like, man, where are, we're just so twisted in our head about what matters. That's what, that's what this day means. I don't want to be twisted. 
I want to joyfully and together, sacrificially, head in the same direction. So there are promise cards. They're in boxes, and Scott is standing right there in the middle. I asked him to hold those with pens in his hand and say, if somebody hasn't given a promise because you, you, you're, you're scared because it's too, be a part of this. Be a part of this. All right, so here's what's going to happen. Um, and, you, and by the way, as soon as we start, as soon as we start, the kids start to come in. You're welcome to get up, go back there, grab a card, go to any of these boxes, grab a card and say, I, I, I want to be in on this. I can't do a whole lot, but I, I, I want to be in on this. Um, and what's going to happen is the kids are going to come first. You know, I want you to, you're going to watch the kids come bring theirs. And then, uh, and then when they're done, the adults will all just get up and come. And you'll know it's time because I'll be the first one up right here. And when I get up, then everybody can feel comfortable to just get up and come. Bring your gifts. Now, if you give online, and we have a number of people who gave online or, or will plan to give online. There's little, there's little tables right here. All we want you to do, if you gave online, because we want this to be a big picture of unity, all of us doing it together. If you gave online or plan to give online, then you can grab this. Grab a card right here. You don't have to sign it. You don't have to put anything on it. All I want you to do is be able to come forward with it and drop it in one of the buckets that the offerings are going to put you. Because we're all coming together. It's unity. It's everybody's feet wet. Okay? So even if you gave online, and I know a number of you did, that's okay. Just grab a card and put it in. You don't have to do anything else with it. All right? Now, before we do that, I want you to, I want you to meet one kid. The day we handed out these boxes months ago, this little boy knew his schedule on that March 25th on First Fruits, he wouldn't be able to bring it because he wasn't going to be here. He knew that. And he came up to me and said, I got a problem. I'm not going to be here on March 25th to turn this back in. What do we do? He's hounded me over this thing. And so we made a special occasion for him to come this past week and bring it, which is what he wanted, and we videoed it. So when he took that box home that day, I said, what, you know, I asked him in the video, you don't hear the question, but his answer, his first answer is to this question. I said, so, you got the box home, what'd you do? So watch this video, and then as soon as he's done, the kids will come, and when they're done, you'll see me get up, and after I get up, you can get up. All right, watch this. dumped out my mason jar and put as much money as I could in there. And then a couple days later, I got tooth fairy money for my, for my tooth and put it in there. And then a couple of days again, I got another $5 and put it in there. So I tried to be as, help, as much helpful as I could to help the church have money to make another kid some.
you stand and worship with us? No 
hey, wasn't that a sight? That's a sight. I just want to thank you. People coming forward I've never met. People coming forward I know don't have a lot. That we help. And I'm just grateful. That's all I can say. I'm just grateful. And I'm also this. I'm, I'm as happy as I can be to share in it with you. To give some of my stuff away. As happy as I can be to be a part of it with you. Um, so thank you. A couple things as you leave. Easter's next week. Hey, this is our mission. Take one of those invite cards and invite somebody you know to be a part of next weekend services. And then um, if you need prayer this morning as you leave in the corners, that'll be available to you. Uh, you can go to the corners of this auditorium. There'll be people there to be able to pray with you. And then uh, we announced it last week, but I want to give you another opportunity here soon. We'd like to do a series called You Asked For It, which means you're going to ask a question and you can text it in. And there's a number right here that you can text it to. And then it is my job to weed through them, find the easy ones, and put together a series, put together a series that you'll enjoy, all right? A series, you know, that's, that came from you, questions you've asked. Already got a few in. Not exactly sure when we're going to pull the trigger on when that series would start, but it's something that I'm going to, that I want to do. So uh, feel free to do that. Um, we'd love that. All right, Father, what a great day. Thank you. I pray you, you receive honor and glory and that you unite Hillside in a way it has never been. And we ask for your blessing, your direction, guidance over every single detail of the next thousand days. And we trust you to make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, Hillside. Easter, next week. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.